Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. My friends have a policy that if I ever start talking about murder she wrote, they punch me in the shoulder. Oh, good. Right. Because it happens a lot. Will somebody get us another drink? Sweeney Todd. Here it goes. Coming at a tender <laughs> tale. Hey. So... For me, Halloween is in two days, but for our listeners, Halloween will have already happened. I know. It's not. I wonder how it went. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they'll tell us. Hopefully. Do you think anyone dressed up as Sweeney Todd for Halloween? I'd expect so. I'd hope so. It's a great costume. (laughs) Have you ever ever dressed up as Sweeney Todd for Halloween? Uh, Not intentionally, no. Oh, okay. But I do, I do murder people under as the as a barber on Halloween. That's just a tradition that I have. Right. That's fine. So you know, we've got we've got that in common. I do the same. I just make a lot of pies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a dress. <laughs> oh God. We've all we've all got our junk. Uh, it's true. So yeah. Well, hope everyone had a really lovely Halloween. Let us know what you dressed up as. Please, especially if it was something musical related. Exactly. Like Patty Lapone. Or like zombie Patty Lapone. Zombie Patty Lapone. Oh my <laughs> That'd god. Be brilliant. That would be t- that would be terrifying. I might just steal that. Do it already. You yeah. should do it. Ah, oh, Jimmy. Everyone is enjoying right now the pictures of you dressed up as Zombie Patty Lapone from Halloween that has already exactly. happened. Exactly. Now. That's what's happening. I've gone viral actually. <laughs> Congratulations on your on your going viral. Yeah. Patty's been in touch already about a book deal or something like that. <laughs> what I find quite interesting, another great reason for us to be talking about Mr. Todd is the quintessentially British holiday that we've got coming up across the pond of Guy Fox Night. Of Guy Fox Night. We talked about this. My experience uh-huh. of Guy Fox Night only extends to that one Sherlock episode. 
Yeah. And like I say, that is that is pretty much it. I believe that. Yeah, so we like to pay homage to the man who tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament <laughs> by burning some effigies of him and setting off fireworks. Because we're British. I can't wait to see pictures of you in a dress holding a meat pie, setting off fireworks in a giant... Just in the background. <laughs> Houses of Parliament aflame. <laughs> so, on Guy Fawkes Night, of all things, I was doing some research for Sweeney Todd, and Sondheim points very much to an old movie called Hangover Square. Yes, as his he inspiration. loves Hangover Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen any of Hangover Square? I've not. Is, is that something I should be doing? Well, I only watched a little bit of it, because I can't stand long, boring movies in black and white, but it actually looks super creepy. And he's right. One of the Sondheim says his big inspiration is the score, and he's right. Yep. The score is terrifying. And if you listen to it 100%, you'll be like, oh my god, I can hear Sweeney Todd. But it's vaguely about a composer who is a schizophrenic and murders people when he, it's like kind of Jekyll and Hyde. And then the, the climax scene. Which sounds so exciting. Yeah. It's amazing. He like, the, the police come into the concert hall where he's playing his dramatic concerto. And they're like, you must come with us. And he's like, I must hear the end of the concerto. And then he sets the whole place on fire and plays piano as he burns to life. To death, even. Burns to life. That's beautiful. <laughs> I burn to life every day, every morning when I wake up. Every morning you arise like a phoenix. But one of the ways he murders people is he kidnaps a girl on Guy Fox night and throws her into a burning pile of 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 whatever. Sherlock, what did you steal? It all comes around. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But no, that was obviously such a huge influence for him. And he was totally obsessed with the melodrama of it. What is Sweeney Todd? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> On a theatrical level, what is it? <laughs> because even Mr. Sondheim struggles to define it, which I think is totally fair. I think, I mean, you know, you can Google online and no one, he sometimes says it himself, no one can decide whether this is an opera or a song cycle or somewhere in the middle. What do you think it is, Jimmy? I, I, I think it's a, a musical. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a musical too. I think it's a dark musical. Should we should we talk about that now? Let's talk about it now. Why not? Are we gonna go off our plan? We're gonna like we have a plan. I know, that's true. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well I what I love about Sweeney Todd is the darkness. Yeah. Because there's not in my opinion, there's not enough of that out there. I mean, obviously he so they wanted to write something that was horrific and would scare people because, you know, he, he said that there wasn't really anything like that out there. That's that's what I fix it on. A lot of people fix it on the humour side of it and the more melodrama side of it. But I like to kind of look past that and think, okay, well, that's I know that's there, but how deep can we go? And it's really dark. And I think when you when you really start to pick away at it and listen to the music and kind of find all those horror moments in there, it gets very exciting, which I'm sure we will talk about. What about you, Mr. T? Uh, I mean, I think it's definitely a musical too. I think, I think we've had more horror musicals since, mm -hmm. but it is definitely, you know, we, we could not... I don't know. It's, it doesn't seem like 
it knows that it's a milestone in that way, that it kind of opened the door for things like Little Shop or things like the, you know, the gift that keeps giving Carrie the musical. Can't wait for the new one that's just started. And they'll keep flogging that horse. I'm sure it's not going to do any better. (laughs) But like the, the fact that you can bring people into a theater and scare them is really cool, you know, and without like, it's not, I think it's easy to do like cheap scares, you know, jump scares and things like that. But Sweeney Todd doesn't have a lot of like, oh, boo, sort of scares to it. It's a psychological thriller in a lot of ways. 100%. I don't think you see that kind of construction in what people call musical theater. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think even Big Steve is afraid to call it a piece of musical theater, because that kind of evokes, you know, kick lines and glitter. Exactly. And- Especially in the time that it was written as well. That's what people were used to, and they wanted to go to theater to see the musical comedies. Right. You know, especially for him, before Sweeney, people would know him for things like Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, and that's what people would probably go expecting. I don't know, I've always got a theory. I, I've never read anything that confounds it or whatever, but I'm interested to hear what you think. Uh-huh. Because I think if we amped up the horror in Sweeney Todd and kind of took down some of the comedy. Mm -hmm. I know I would love it a lot more. You think so? Uh Uh-huh. But I don't think it would work as a Broadway show. I don't think it would be as accessible. And I always wonder if that was a factor for Sunday when he was writing it, if he was like, I want to make this scary. I want to really add the chill, but unfortunately I'm going to need to fit in a couple of these. See, but I think... The funny in the musical, the joke songs, heighten later horror parts. Right. So, like, I think one of the brilliant pieces of the structure of Sweeney Todd is that they start you off at the very beginning, attend the tale of Sweeney Todd, very much implied, this is not something you want to be or agree with. This is a morality tale about a tragic hero. And then, by the end of Act One, after Epiphany, we sit through all of a little priest And you go off into the lobby thinking, ha, killing people and putting them into pies. Hilarious. Oh my God, this is going to be so much fun. And then by the end of act two, you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. Clearly, (laughs) clearly this is a bad thing to do. And I think the, the roller coaster of that heightens both ends of it. If it was just scary all the time, you'd grow bored of it. But because you have those moments to breathe... It makes things seem more gruesome. Like, even in, in Act 2, is it the quartet? When Anthony's singing Joanna and the yep. the beggar woman, and then Todd is, like, just <laughs> slashing throats left and right. Slicing away, yeah. And it's halfway between this hilarious, oh my god, what is he doing? And this terrifying, oh my god, what is he doing? So, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. Just because there's no, there's no songs in it that are kind of knee slappers, thigh slappers, whatever they call them. Everything does have a kind of twisted context to it. You know, even Pirelli in the tooth pilling scene, that's disgusting. That's true. Do you know what I mean? It's really, really disgusting. Yeah. And, you know, like you say, A Little Priest is obviously lovely comedy jaunt about killing everyone. So yeah, it is. It's an interesting one. I think maybe the recent Broadway revival, the pared down one, got a lot closer to that kind of all-horror-all-the-time goal. When you delve into that one too much, I think it gets a little almost too complex. Yeah, I know what you mean. You're, you already have this whole, like, framing story 
of we are putting on this play for you attend the tale of sweeney todd and then they put that framing story inside another framing story of we're inmates in an asylum and tobias is telling this and then there's this weird coffin that we're pouring blood into that is a little little weird and a little ambiguous you spend the whole show thinking like why are we doing this which yeah there's there's use in that but it's it's already a complex show Exactly. I, I have a lot of beef with that production. Some good beef, some bad beef. The direction of it I get, and I like some of the ideas that they did. I like what they did in terms of it being an actor muso, and they really used, you know, they used the instruments. You know, Joanna playing her cello and, and hiding behind it. That's a lot of good fun. That's really good. I don't know. I, I don't think that's necessary. And to be honest with you, I don't think it should be done for Sweeney Todd. What I think one of the main characters in Sweeney Todd is the score. It's so emotive and there's so much there. To scale that back, you lose so much. And you can hear it. You listen to the cast recording and it doesn't feel as soaring or chilling because you've lost so many of your players. Because it's so reduced, yeah. Even when it sounds reduced on the cast recording that they didn't have the actual actors play for the cast recording. Those are all studio musicians playing the reduced part. When you hear the actual actors play on stage, and playing an instrument and acting is super hard. There's a reason we employ separate people to do these things, because if you're really good at one, you you know might not have as much brain power to do the rest. But it really, it dumbs down the score in a bunch of big ways. I also have beef with Patty. I know you think. <laughs> so, so I need to clear up this misconception that the internet has. For, for those who stumbled upon our podcast and haven't seen my miscast Mrs. Lovett video, I made a video where we compared Helena Bottom Carter, Patty Lapone, and Angela Lansbury's take on Mrs. Lovett in their various Sweeney Todd's. And then we pick a winner. I understand that that endeavor is fundamentally flawed, because acting is not a zero-sum game. They all can be good. It's just fun to pick one, internet. <laughs> and it's my opinion, and I understand there's not a lot of justification behind that, and that's why you're entitled to have your opinion. The, like, 3,000 people who have commented on it. And hate you. And hate me. The pitchforks fired oh, man. in the back of your skull as you walk down the street. So many Helena fans. I think I must have gotten posted on, like... Helena Bottom Carter is god.tumblr.com or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it has. The lynch mob is out. <laughs> so I, wh- what's your beef with Miss Patty Lapone as Mrs. Lovett? She can't do a bloody British accent. <laughs> 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 she sounds abhorrent. She just sounds <laughs> awful. No, I adore Patty's singing. And I think she has a very unique style, uh-huh. which works so much in many many things she does mm. it does not work in a verbose sondheim score which has nuance and colloquialisms do you think you would have enjoyed it more if she just ditched the accent and just did you know normal normal patty yeah I, do you know what i probably would it wouldn't have worked because she'd be saying all this nonsense and oh i guess that's true she's she's got quite the dialect uh, the one that it's just you listen to that recording and you listen to um by the sea and it's just i've always had this <laughs> <laughs> it's just, 
pours off into it, and you're like, "What the hell are you saying?" <laughs> well, there, well, there, well, there's that. It's it's because she's in an asylum and pretending to have a British accent. <laughs> oh, hush! Don't you use that as an excuse. <laughs> well, okay. So, is this is a question I've had? Is and I don't actually know the answer. Is Sweeney Todd a quintessentially British story? I mean, I know it, it has this pseudo-historical base, and while there is no actual person named Sweeney Todd, there's a lot of importance in the history there. Yep, yep, yep. But it premiered in America. Both the original Broadway and the original West End productions were financial failures, and according to Sondheim, the West End version failed even more than the American version. And so I wonder, you know, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why British? Why? I, I guess just because... It's set in London. I guess that's, do you know what I mean? that's true. And do they just murder people more often over there? We do. It's just, it's it's quite <laughs> tough sometimes you're walking down the street and you don't oh, swerve and, oh gosh, please, not at the moment. All of a sudden you're in a pie and you're like, well, how did this? Gosh, <laughs> gosh damn it. Another one. Well, just go be eaten. I always wondered this about shows anyway, but if you have a different experience going into the show not knowing the myth that is Sweeney Todd. Like, if you go and, you know, it's just it's, it's just an evil guy. Oh my god, they're baking him into pies? Where yep. maybe you have a different experience if you go in thinking, like, when are they going to get to the pie-baking part? Uh-huh. Because you know this kind of mythic story of Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett and their pie shop. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think it's all... I'm going to do this a horrible disservice because I had an awful theater history professor in college. Um, but the original production is very Brechtian in nature, which is a $10 theater word I only pull out to describe Sweeney Todd uh -huh. for our listeners who maybe did poorly in theater history like me. Bertolt Brecht had this kind of theater style that was centered around the alienation effect. Yeah, His concept was that you always want to be aware that you're watching a show going on. Exactly. And that you're watching actors tell a tale. And he had all sorts of ways to do this with like placards and loud noises and you know even just overtly being told that you're watching this and like big big sets and things like that and the original broadway production at least on the surface is decidedly that way it is decidedly brechtian i i have so many opinions on this i i love Bertolt brecht i i really really do and when i first studied him at school i was just obsessed and in the first kind of productions I saw I was just like this is amazing he's such a genius and of course this is what theatre should be and no like I'm not political in any way shape or form mm -hmm. which is obviously the reason why he created this form of theatre was to educate but for me I, I was just obsessed and obviously with that obsession being obsessed with Sweeney Todd the more you pour through it the more you kind of realise mm -hmm. There is so much yeah. that links the two together. Yeah. The, the first line, like it's it's instant distancing. It's here's your Greek chorus, this is it, you're watching this tale, and we're gonna let you know that it's a tale. Even I mean, even the basic fact that one of Brecht's techniques was to put songs into shows because people breaking it into song is not in any way natural. Right. And it completely alienates you. Exactly. It's really it's interesting then to like when you go through um whichever hat book this one's in with all of Sondheim's opinions on it. Uh -huh. And all of the effort he goes through to kind of forego some of those more traditional chorus roles, like giving people separate parts uh, when we first meet Pirelli and, and God, that's good. Yep. And he talks 
for a long time about the song Wait, right. which I yeah. have mixed opinions on, but how it at first glance doesn't seem like a necessary song, but is setting you up for the killing sequence. Exactly. And some of that, I would say, feels decidedly non-Brechtian. Like he's trying to aid you in suspending your disbelief. Even like we were talking earlier at the end of Act 1, you're sympathizing and agreeing with Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney, which is not, you know, you're not going into the lobby thinking, boy, those actors are doing a good job. You go into the lobby thinking, oh, they're killing people and putting them into pies. Yeah. Which, I don't know. The, the, way, the ways in which it uses and doesn't use aspects of epic theater are really cool. It's one of the reasons why I think the movie is also slightly flawed. Yeah. Because one of my main, again, beefs with the movie is that it doesn't have a chorus. Yeah, for sure. So you're not attending a tale, you're just, you you know, you're watching a movie. <laughs> you're watching a movie. Yeah, you're watching a horror movie. So you lose that core message of what you've just seen, this could be you, so make good choices. You completely lose that because no one's telling you that. Yeah. For sure. So you just see this portrayal of this man and this woman go crazy. Oh, isn't it sad what happened to him? But he's dead, so that's fine. And, you know, whatever message you take from that, that's fine. But I think with the chorus and all of the messages, all of the ballads that come through, it's just pure quintessential breath. And it's so necessary to, to feel that message. It's such a great message. Yeah. The last ballad is everything to me. I just think it is incredible because it's so stirring. And it's that's that's the scary part is that you get to the end of the show and you're like, right, okay. Even just the wonderful transition right after Toby kills Todd and is like having his psychotic break, and then the whistle blows for the last time, and he goes from this, you can't understand a word he's saying, to, I am calm, cool, and collected, attend the tale of Sweeney Todd, this was a play, aren't you creeped out right now? Exactly. It's, it, you know, it gives me chills. People have a lot of opinions about this show. They really do. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because it's so well discussed. My circle of friends, everyone has an opinion on Sweeney Todd. Everyone does. And it's really, it's weirdly polarizing. Yeah. I think because it is so well constructed, any problem you have with a particular part, even of the construction of it, is difficult to write out because it's so interwoven. So like, for example, I cannot stand the song Green Finch and Linnet Bird. Uh-huh. I hate it so much with every passion of my being because it's like, dear world, I am a girl, I am a metaphor. <laughs> oh my, what is it like to be trapped in a cage, dear bird? Won't you tell me? Pout, 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 sad, sad, sad. Oh, I am a one-dimensional female character. Like, uh, And it's really long. It's really long, <laughs> and it's really high. I also, it extends beyond just the show itself. I sat through a cattle call worth of auditions for Into the Woods. 500 high schoolers auditioned for Into the Woods. You had to prepare a Sondheim song not from Into the Woods. So I heard Green Finch and Linnet Bird sung like... 200 times over the course of two days, most times very poorly. I've heard enough of this song. Yeah, that's your own fault. You were good. You that's true. That. That's true. I did. <laughs> that's true. But you can't, unless you write her a new song, you can't get rid of that song. You can't get no. rid of Joanna. Like, everyone's really important. It's, it's a funny one with Anthony and Joanna. I, I Again, I've got a lot of opinions mm-hmm. between the two of them. Just in, And just how they are often portrayed yeah. in productions of it. I mean, I 
am obsessed with the psychology of their relationship. All parts of me want to believe that Sondheim wanted to do more than just make them this little idyllic metaphor couple. I hope so. To provide this kind of clear glimpse of hope throughout the show. Yeah. To, you know, not offend people too much. It's just, it's it's strange that a sailor such as Anthony, who's been away for God knows how long, goes off on shore leave. And he's like, now I gotta find a girl. I know I've been around the world, but now... Now I have to fall in love. If you, again, kind of dig into Joanna, the first Joanna, Anthony's Joanna, if you dig into that and you listen to the music, it's it's a really dark song. It's creepy. It's really creepy. And it's not this beautiful love ballad that people paint it as. It's really menacing. The, The music is dark as anything and those li- I, I don't know any musical technical terms so I'm about to offend a lot of people me neither so we're good we're doing yeah. great <laughs> so, <laughs> but I want to say you know I don't know discordant things <laughs> sure yeah well it, it is dissonant it it feels dark uh-huh. and that's something you can say from you know whether you know one note from another exactly it feels dark and then you look at the lyric you know I'll steal you. I'm in the dark beside you. It's creepy. It's creepy. If if taken out of context, it's really creepy. But then it kind of, it just kind of peters out a bit. And yeah, because the next the next song, they're in love on their tiny couch. Like, what happened in between? I know, and it's they are in love in that song. So much of me has tried to look into Amis and kiss me and be like, right, where is that hidden? Ah, uh, he's just trying to rape her or something. Do you know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. There's nothing. They're just in love. <laughs> I know. But it's so, what's the difference between Anthony and the judge other than we are meant to interpret the judge as the bad guy and Anthony as the good guy? Exactly. And I guess as well with Joanna, mm-hmm. it, ma- it makes sense in her book why she would fall in love at the drop of a hat from this mysterious stranger who's freeing her because that's all she wants. She wants to be let out of her cage. So he comes along. So obviously she's like, you're great. I'm in love with you because she's been trapped by herself for so long. She must be clinically insane. I wonder if you could, because she has, it's always given as such a throwaway line, but right after they break out of the asylum and it's the marry me reprise, which is really short, but she has that like, uh, you said you'd marry me some Sunday. That was last August. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with this bit, Tommy. I, <laughs> no, no, you've totally hit the nail on the head. That is such an interesting shift. Spoiler alert. When she shoots fog and it's that, like, that weird balance of power just goes push, and suddenly their relationship changes. Now, what would be great is if previously there was more strength and more control from Anthony Right. So that we could really feel that change. Exactly. When she shoots him and suddenly she's now in the driving seat. Yeah. If he has just like one moment to say like, no, 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 we're doing this. And she says, okay. And then later on, she grabs the gun from him and shoots Fog. Yes. And after that, and like you say at that moment, you know, where she's like, that was last August. Kiss me. And she, you know, I mean, it's just that she's in control now. She's calling the shots. And then when they go into the attic, she's kicking up a fuss, you know what I mean? She's like, oh, well, where is this, Mr. Todd? And I lo- actually, I do love that on the original Cash Gordon. She's like, so <laughs> disparaging. What's this Mr. Todd, you know? <laughs> and I do love, and this might be me overanalyzing, but I love that she is dressed as a man at that point. Oh, it's great. Isn't that interesting? It says so many wonderful things. It also, you know, it is, I think that is the wonderful, beautifully tragic part of the show, even more than... Todd killing Lucy Mm -hmm. is Todd 
meeting his daughter and having no idea to the point of threatening to kill her. Yep. And then never knowing and dying before he ever finds out that they met. It would be even like, it is tragic that he learns that he killed Lucy, but at least he gets that closure. Mm -hmm. But with Joanna... He never, ever, ever sees her ever, ever, ever again and spends the whole show trying to. But then it is interesting, the way that he starts to get distance from her. And I love in the Joanna Quartet when, you know, he is just totally going through the motions and it's so beautifully done. This lovely, nice little rum-tum-tum-tum score where you're just kind of plodding along and he's just plodding along, doing what he's doing and everything he's saying as well. I think I'll miss you less and less as every day goes by. I think I'll get over this. Yeah. I still love you, but I, I don't care nearly as much anymore. And, you know, it's so interesting that it culminates with him seeing her, not having a clue, not responding in any way, and just being like, well, I'll just kill you as well. He's totally lost sight of why he's doing anything. Exactly. And that's what's great about it. And that's why weight is so important, mm. no matter how much I want to cut it. Because there's, if you read through, they cut often both the judge's intro song which i think is also called joanna because that was the thing sondheim wanted to do yep um and then the tooth pulling sequence are cut from act one because there's a real big lull right there and then the next thing we go into is wait yep and it seems like well if that was your problem why not cut wait a song that mrs lovett sings about not doing anything yep and let's introduce the judge and let's give pirelli his more time but Weight helps inform everything Todd doesn't do the rest of the show. Embrace your revenge, embrace your murdering, wait for it, enjoy it. And then he does, and you know, man, does it bite him in the butt. I thought it was a really interesting song in terms of its placement between the kind of balance of power between Todd and Love It, because that I guess is the first time that she starts to get control and she starts to really kind of take over in his life. Yeah. And that's the first time that she gains that influence. I think it's a bit weighty. I think she has maybe a bit too much influence at that point, but hey, you need to tell the story. I wonder what a production without weight how that would actually read mm. like if people would be like why why are we why are we mur well, you know just kill the judge just kill the damn judge why are we singing exactly and it would affect their relationship it would it would, it would ruin everything <laughs> it, it, yeah yeah it probably would I don't want people to go <laughs> away from that show thinking, oh, but it's okay because Joanna and Anthony are together and they'll be happy. They will not be happy. <laughs> I think I would much rather see this story retold not with Tobias as the narrator, but mm -hmm. with Joanna as the narrator. Right. Or like Joanna and Anthony, like, we got out, but man. I want that fan fiction. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, I mean, I want to see the next chapter. I don't know if I'd want to. It might be a little gross. I, am, I, <laughs> I imagine Anthony and Joanna's marriage doesn't pan out very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think she'll get out the country and he'll lose her because she'll be off doing whatever. And because he's an idiot. Oh, yeah. Another bit, again, I don't know if this is me just really overanalyzing, when they sing together, and we'll sail the world and all its wonders, da -da 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 -da. Mm. at the end, he sings, and then come back to London someday. But she doesn't say that. You know, I never noticed that, but that's super interesting. She just says, she's lovely, beautiful, high note, but she doesn't say that. And I'm like, well, yeah, why the hell would Joanna want to come back to London? She wants to escape. She wants to get away. 
She wants to be a bird and fly, fly, fly. So that, again, is just, you look into that as their little power play. And then also, I mean, there's no place like London. I think you can totally frame this show as people with decent human motivations corrupted by this awful place that they are. That them all existing in this place at once is what makes these bad things happen. Yeah. Like, nothing anyone does individually is all that inconceivable. Not that it's justified. People want revenge. People want love. People want all these things. It's all based on extremely human emotions. Extremely human. And that's what's so terrifying because it's like they say in that final ballot, this could be you. You could be sitting right beside you because at the end of the day, we're all capable of this. It's just where you go with it. They were once a happy couple. That once was idyllic. Yeah. And so was Sweeney and Lucy. And so... Everyone except Mrs. Lovett. I know. Oh, gosh. We don't really... We never learn how poor Nellie Lovett got to be who she is. She used to be married, obviously, at some stage. We imagine. We never know what happens to him. We never know what happens to Mr. Lovett. No. That always fascinates me. (laughs) I really enjoy the character of Mrs. Lovett. Oh, yes. I... You know, if you tear apart any piece of text too much you run into problems right. <laughs> sondheim says todd has been away for 15 years and in his annotation says that lovett is trying to figure out if she remembers him mm-hmm. it's not that mrs lovett has heard in passing about the existence of benjamin barker who used to live upstairs it's that mrs lovett once owned the pie shop when her upstairs tenant was benjamin barker yeah And then Benjamin Barker walks back in and she spends two songs saying, who are you? And once that hits my mind, I find it more difficult to believe some of those things. But do you think that she was really trying to work it out? Or do you think that she knew all along? I think they're both different choices. I think they're... I know what choice I'd play. (laughs) Yeah. Which, tell me which choice would you play? Because I think I would, were I in the director's shoes, I would leave Mm -hmm. that up to... Whoever's Mrs. Lovett. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think for me, it's just quintessential that she knows exactly who he is. Yeah. What I I love about Mrs. Lovett is I actually, uh, there's many things that I can almost kind of relate to her, you know, within reason. Well, as we've discussed, that that's how you spend your Halloween. (laughs) Exactly. Um, It is. It's the pie making bit that just really (laughs) resonates with me. Um, No, I, you know, we've all been there when we've had those crushes when we're younger and they can turn very sour very quickly. I am obsessed with the idea that when he lived upstairs, she was fully in love with him. And at no point did she ever like that Lucy woman Uh because she was the one who had him. That gives her a lot of motivation. That does. Then for, you know, knocking her off. Yeah, for sure. And keeping that downplayed. And 15 years is a long time for a crush to brew. That's true. And then for him to suddenly come back. Oh, and he's alone. And you know it. And that's that's what I love. I think the second that he steps into that, I mean, that's what he says. The minute I stepped into my shop, you knew. And I think, I think fully she knows because she has just been waiting and hoping and praying for this moment to happen. And he steps in and suddenly she's like, it can be done. I can get him. And she does. Yeah. And it doesn't work because of folly. (laughs) (laughs) And it culminates in the line in the finale when Mrs. Lovett 
tells him that she loves him for the first time. Oh yeah. And she says, I'd be twice the wife she was. That tells you all you need to know about what she's been feeling for the whole show. That's true. It's been nothing to do with work. It's been nothing to do with, oh, here's a nice fun idea. It's all been about her feelings towards him. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you've you've convinced me that it is the much stronger. <laughs> Another convert. On to the next one. <laughs> I would love to read a book called Sondheim on Women because I think looking at the differences between how Mrs. Lovett is constructed and how Joanna is constructed, two of the three lady characters in this show, and I think Mrs. Lovett has depth and intrigue and intelligence. But Joanna is, it is harder to find that. Yeah. And I think even the ways as we've talked, like trying to create it or trying to manufacture it is not entirely text based. You know, I think you can justify some of it with the text, but there's not a lot of stuff to go on. It doesn't seem like a big jump to create those things. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be a big jump to have included them in the piece in the first place. Was that a decision that was made for him? We know for a fact that Sondheim is an intelligent man. It's true. And that he would be very well aware when things don't work. But I would not be surprised if Sondheim struggles writing young women. But even but even just purely as like a psychological construct, take gender out of the mix. It doesn't matter. There's so much missing with that character. There's so much missing. Yeah. Well, it's, she, you know, she's a character that starts out life as a prop. She starts out as a tiny little baby when we have yep. the flashback. And I don't know, she doesn't get much more dimension until Act 2 <laughs> when she kills Phineas Fogg. Like, that is the strongest decision she makes the whole show. Yeah. And it doesn't happen until right at the end. But could could you argue, I'm playing devil's advocate. Of course. Could you argue that that's because she has no psychological grounding she is insane her motivations aren't real because she's not real do you know what i mean yeah um if that were the argument i would want to look at that in comparison to how we do the beggar woman slash lucy because she is on the surface insane you know just like her daughter maybe i think what is missing from this show is honest judge joanna interaction they never have more than maybe a line to each other i know and the whole the whole pre-story of the show is based around the judge wanting people who look like todd's wife we know and like of course he's a creepy dickhole so that scene might be a little uncomfortable to watch but even one or two just sentences just phrases just something there to look at their interaction where Joanna can say something back or justify her position, mm -hmm. or we can see why she feels like this trapped bird in a cage yeah. instead of her just expounding upon it to the audience from her balcony. And um, again, devil's advocate, it's not something I agree or feel. Mm -hmm. Could he have done that because he doesn't want you to ever feel that they have a you know substantial relationship, that it is all a farce? Mm -hmm. So, you know... But then, no, I, I, I'm going to strike my advocacy um, <laughs> because even just something in to show that it is a farce, that's so easily writable. Well, and also all of Joanna's exposition beyond her just character exposition, but her situational exposition is done between the judge and Anthony mm -hmm. down underneath her window. And it's two guys talking about her. That's lame. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, Anthony needs to know some of that information. This girl's off limits. I'm the one who's in charge of her. 
if we ever see you again, I'm going to crush you like this bird. Mm -hmm. But you could offload some of that exposition easily into a Judge Joanna moment right in the same song. Just something. Maybe the judge, instead of seeing Anthony while walking down the street, comes out of Joanna's window and then has the altercation through the window with Ant. Like, there's simple ways to, to... flesh out joanna just a little bit more and we give it give more to the judge as well it would make his joanna the beautiful flogging scene it would make that more poignant as well because you could get to see their relationship rather than just thinking and, and presuming what it is because he's an old man and she's a young girl exactly from his perspective he is guarding her from the world from people like anthony mm-hmm. He goes about it in all the wrong way, but no bad guy wakes up in the morning, twirls their mustache, and says, I'm going to do evil today. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's got their justification. I wonder if at one point Sondheim wrote, stay with me for the disturbance. (laughs) 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 But see, this is where the, and I think this is a whole nother episode, but Sondheim on women, when you look at Rapunzel and look at Joanna next to each other, I enjoy Rapunzel more, but I think... They both have a lot of the same character problems. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I always wonder, because I come at theater so often from an educator standpoint, uh-huh. three, three hour shows are rough when you're a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Just for a lot of practical reasons. When do you start your show on Wednesday night to get the kids back in math class on Thursday morning with your three-hour show. If you start at 7, you know, you're done by 10, kids are out by 10.30 or 11, and then they need to be back at 7.30 the next morning. Like, three-hour shows are really, really rough from an educator standpoint, and so I always have a gut reaction of, like, can't you cut that down? Mm -hmm. But I I never know if that's just me, Mm -hmm. or if that's true. Because if, you know, when you pay 60, 70, 100, $200 to see a Broadway show, damn well right you want to sit there for three hours and get your money's worth, especially if it's a good story. Yeah. But it does, it seems, it always seems a tad long. Sweeney Todd always seems long. Yeah, it is, it is. And I guess that's the opera in it, and Stephen Sander would hate saying that, but it's grand. But then uh, the thing is, is he would say, I'm sure, and I'm putting words into his mouth, I'm really sorry, <laughs> but he would probably argue that schools shouldn't be doing it. You know, uh, he wouldn't. Oh, I love it. I know this. I know he wouldn't because this is... I've got mine right he, here as well. <laughs> Let us refer uh, to the novel. What page? For the listeners, uh, Jimmy and I are both pulling out our um, Sondheim... Is this finishing the hat? This is finishing, yes. yeah. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with your copy at home... <laughs> We are on page 334. That's 334, listeners. (laughs) The beggar woman's originally line, then how would you like to split me, muff mister? We'll go jig a jig a little, and I think she says bounce around the bush. Yep. Later on, Sondheim says, quote, To spare the sensibilities of school administrations, I wrote a balderized version for school and squeamish regional productions. And he has the additional lyric here, which is awful, BT dubs. So bad. How would you like a little kiss, dear? I'll be your girlfriend. <laughs> you won't do better on the docks. Would Would you like to take me dancing and be my boyfriend and buy me lots of pretty frocks? And with that, Lucy has no substance. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And he does it again. There's another lyric that's cut, and he has an asterisk somewhere. Yep. On page 340. Nope, not on page 340. <laughs> on page 342. 
It's the beggar woman's line again about open me gate, but dock it straight. I see it lists to starboard. Yeah. Where she's talking about his dick. And he has a little asterisk that says, needless to say, this verse does not exist in the scripts sent to most schools. So I think... Even contrary to what a lot of school administrators believe, Stephen Sondheim would love to see Sweeney Todd done at schools. I present to you. Yes. <laughs> my Kate's <games> argument. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a businessman. That's true. And he can make a lot of money by schools doing his shows. I mean, what part of you thinks he was happy writing that? Well, no, but, but I, he's... I, I think he, he's... he's playing to the necessary evil of, okay, I can't not let schools do this because I'll come off as a bad person. Are you going to hate me? I, I'm not going to hate you, but I think you need to do some... Do you, So maybe, maybe this is just an American thing, actually. I don't know. If you wanted to do a Stephen Sondheim show in the UK, mm-hmm. who do you write to? So we have a company called Joseph Weinberger, um, who are very like MTI. Okay, because we have MTI, which... Musical Theater International, in conjunction with Stephen Sondheim, developed, you've heard of Into the Woods Jr.? Of course. Which, you know, whatever your opinions on Into the Woods Jr., it's just act one of Into the Woods, listeners. Yep. (laughs) But was very, very clearly developed by Sondheim in conjunction with the full version and... You know, Sondheim went through with all his original stuff and put in... That's that's really why Our Little World is so prevalent now, because he put it back in for those productions, and then recorded a bunch of educational videos of him going through the music for you, the music teacher, and telling you, here's, here's you know, watch out for this note. Uh, we're on page seven. This is measure 28. This note, you know, this is a rough one right here. And, like, mm-hmm. later on here and, like... Hours and hours of footage of him, Stephen Sondheim, preparing schools to do his shows. So I would argue yes. that Stephen Sondheim would love to see Sweeney Todd performed in schools. Okay, I'll give you that. You win. <laughs> I win one! Yes! We've settled. It's really cool. It's a, it's a neat thing he does because, you know, we all need theater in school. See, he is a nice man. Do you? Th- so what do you think? Do you... Jimmy, think Sweeney Todd should be performed by, say, high school-aged kids. Do you think it's appropriate? Oh, yeah. I am the biggest advocate of school and and regional theatre. Oh, my gosh. In every single way. And, of course, they should do everything and anything because that's where the love for theatre is born. And that's how you have to see shows nowadays, really. But, Jimmy, this show is about murder. I know, but that's okay. Because <laughs> it's also about human emotion. So, that's, okay. that's something that all kids feel. That's next time, I every year, in every school I've been in, there's Sweeney Todd always comes up and someone very quickly says, oh, that's not for high schoolers. And I, I burn inside. I know, I know. It's that eternal thing. It's like, oh, Come on, adolescents, they know all about it. Well, and I don't think the moral of Sweeney Todd isn't like, watch out or you too could become an axe murderer. Uh Uh-huh. The moral of Sweeney Todd is watch yourself so you don't do something like this. Yeah. You know, we're not accusing everyone of being (laughs) potential meat pie human makers. <laughs> We're accusing everyone of following, of potentially following through on their revenge to disastrous consequences. It's a uh, parable for the modern day. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. 
we made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. <laughs> But but she's do I love the direction oh. of it that she's cleaning all of the like murder instruments. Oh yeah, great. She's f- <laughs> no, it's not what it's about. I'm sorry, got that one all wrong. No, uh, listeners, Jimmy is so so spent with me. I wish you could have seen his face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just won't hear it. It was wrong. She brings like the tuba. The tuba's hilarious. Oh, it's a gimmick. It's a great gimmick. Patty Lapone with a tuba? How can you go wrong with Patty Lapone and a tuba? It's not Patty Lapone with a tuba. It's Mrs. Lovett with a tuba. <laughs> Mrs. Lovett would never play a tuba. Thank you. I'll give her the triangle. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just, I have so much beef. <laughs> and she only plays it once, right? I know. Gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> Full blown gimmick. But you have that that one. I'm going to look it up right now. I just want to see a picture of Patty Lapone with a tuba. <sighs> because it's so funny. <laughs> see, here it is. It's so funny. Can we, we'll put this in the show notes. Absolutely. So Hold on. See. I got to find a big version of it. There might not be a big version. Oh, it's the best. Are you messaging me it? I am. <laughs> oh, f- Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, you'd, I mean, you do. You just look at that. You're like, oh, look, there's Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. But see, if you I saw mean, that picture, wouldn't you be like, well, I have to find out what this show's about now. <laughs> and it tells you nothing about the show. It's a gimmick, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> it is a gimmick. It is completely a gimmick. It is very exactly. funny. And Sondheim himself has warned us about gimmicks. That's true. That's true. I, I understand more, I think I did than at the beginning of this, why some people on the internet in the comment section of my video are so angry that I chose Patti Lapone. <laughs> I, I mean... As the correctly cast Mrs. Lovett. It's, there's, there, like you say, there is no right answer. Right. Because for me, it would be Imelda Staunton. So she, so she remind me, Imelda Staunton is in the one that's reset in like the 1950s? The 1950s, yep. She has like a little calf diner for you guys over there. <laughs> See, for us, a, a calf is a baby cow. So exactly. I was going to be a little oh, confused. Right. We, don't, we don't have them here. We just call it veal. You don't have cows? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's her and Michael Ball. Now, I never I never saw the production. I've just managed to glean moments from my friends telling me that she's the greatest thing. Various interviews, but everything that she says about Love It, mm-hmm. I'm just like, yes, you've got it. You have got it. And so I saw her in Gypsy, and I'm so grateful that I did because she gets it. She gets artistic musical theatre. She really understands. She is just fantastic in everything she does. I wonder what I am most curious about in this production, and maybe you know, is is there... Casting it in the 1950s seems so much closer to now than the 1850s. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, does it still start Attend the Tale of Sweeney Todd with a big chorus? Do they still come back to life after they're murdered? Like, how how much is it a tale we are watching? And how much is it a an actual story that's unfolding in front of us? Like, that kind of 
Brechtian separation. Uh, it was very much true in, in that way. And even to do with the staging, the staging was fantastic and very interesting. And the chorus, I think... Please correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. But I think the chorus were on stage at all times, watching. That's cool. And that's it. That's that box ticked. It was good. It was very, very, very yeah. good. And Michael Ball sounds amazing on it as well. Listen, yeah, everyone should definitely go have a listen to it. It's hard to glean performance and emotion from a cast recording, but you can tell there's something good about it. The kind of 1950s gimmicky, I, I, you know, I feel that is a little bit gimmicky. I think that seems perfect. Oh yeah, it's, it's fun and creative. I'll totally give you that. But I think yeah. grounding it in any sort of factual... Uh, it needs to be in the 1950s because of this. Yeah, you could probably make a justification for yeah. an, any decade. Uh-huh. I, I think that's it. You know, you could probably use that excuse as, oh, well, this would happen all through time. There are Lovitz and Todds all through time, so let's exactly. do it in the 50s. Yeah. And yeah, go for it, that's fine. But you know, uh, like, there might be people out there who say Julia McKenzie in the the original original was the greatest lover of all time. And, like, you know, right. go for it. I love Julia McKenzie. She probably was great. There's so many choices. And Mrs. Lovett is such a dynamic, multifaceted character that there are so many right choices you can make. It takes a bunch of actresses to make them collectively throughout history. All right, listeners, I'm sending Jimmy a link to a YouTube video. You yourself will be able to find this YouTube video in the show notes on jimandtomic.com. It is... It is worth it for you to watch this video. Jimmy's going to watch it now. Is this... Right, okay, I'm ready. This is going to be one of those like, reaction things. We should add a clip of me reacting. No, don't, because <laughs> I don't look good. Uh, <laughs> you, have to, you have to listen to this. Right, I'm, I'm about to click play. Disco Sweeney Todd. That's called Disco Sweeney Todd, yeah. I'm ready. At long last. Hooray. Right. Oh, wow. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm full screening it because I think that's what needs to happen. I'm getting so emotional. This is beautiful. Isn't it fantastic? And you're like, how did I never hear this mm. before? <gasps> Ladies and gentlemen on the internet, Jimmy is dancing. This is so good. It's fabulous. Like, the cut of the video as well is really good. Isn't the video fantastic? Yeah. Here she comes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right? Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Isn't it fabulous? This is needs to be a revival. It's just, I mean, who I yeah. <laughs> who sat down and thought, you know what Sweeney Todd needs? Disco. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, where's this gonna go? Oh, some dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> It's the cowbell, I'm at the cowbell. <laughs> Beautiful. 
I always hated that one that died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one with the the beard. I hated the beard. Yeah. So why I just had a rational hatred. I <laughs> think she goes. She's, she's jigging. Yep. Look at that great direction. That's wonder. It's so much better with this song. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you you'd like this. Oh my god. And honestly, the way that George Heron just did that look. Like, <laughs> he knows. Oh, it's... This is brilliant. It's wonderful. It's, I mean, that's oh, great. Oh that's, that's funny. Listeners, Jimmy is jamming away to this. I think I think we might lose him. He might just head off to the clubs right now. I'm ready. <laughs> Take me there. <laughs> it may be one in the afternoon, but Oh man, the day the day I'm out dancing and this comes on, I will I will be in heaven. Is this you were telling me about this Chicago bar? <laughs> Do yes. you play this all the time? I have never seen this out. I've right, only well, seen this on the internet. You need to tell them that they this, gotta get on this. This is why I would go. <laughs> I want to dance to this to Stephen Sondheim musical, <laughs> The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. I was hoping for a big end rather than a fade out. Oh my gosh! Isn't that brilliant? That's great. Right. What is this? Who just did that? <laughs> so I have been able to find out nothing about this song. It's by a guy named Gordon Grody. The God. Or Grody. He's a pop soul singer. He's been like a backing vocalist on things <sighs> and has very few things out. One of them being this Sweeney Todd. He is... He's my idol. I'm sure he was just some... He's just a singer, isn't he? That's all he is. You know, as someone who makes stupid musical theater YouTube videos, I'm sure he's just the the 70s version of that. Can we get in contact with him? Oh my god. De- dear internet, if anyone knows how to get in contact with Gordon Grody, I hope that's his name, um... We would love to just thank him for what he's brought to the world. If you represent Gordon Grody, <laughs> he worked for, apparently he worked for the American Star Academy. Uh-huh. So one of you out there must have worked Someone, someone must know who, the, who this guy is. Anyway, well done, whoever you are. It happened when I was listening to it on my uh, walk home the other day, but... Oh, and maybe I'm wrong now that I'm singing my head. So there's the Wigmaker song, which is... Tony, yeah. Is that also Pretty Women? That must also be someone pretty... Yeah, it's true, seven, da, 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 but one man to the next. It's true, so love and still yeah. inspire, what more makes so, quiet, but love, sir, more than love, what sir. A, I right. women. Pretty I'll, I'll keep singing. You that, but that's it. So, like, it's, <laughs> there's, of course, there's a lot of reprise, preprise thematic music going on throughout all of Sweeney Todd. But this one struck me as interestingly intentional. Mm-hmm. One, I think it's interesting that, of course, Sweeney Todd knows all about hair because he is a good barber. Beyond being a murderous barber, he also is a good barber or was. Um, yeah. But then that this is the song he picks both to sing to Anthony as a plan and to the judge as kind of like they're both it's it's a plotting song both pretty women and the wig maker sequence are about Todd's plan for revenge and they're also both about 
surface level qualities of women, mm-hmm. whether it, it's pretty women or the hair of women. And it just, it's, I had never in the bazillion times I'd listened to Sweeney Todd, I had never noticed this one. No, it's true. Neither had I. Once I noticed it, it all, you know, seems so intentional and so obvious. And I, you know, I love when that happens when you're the 50th time through a show and you're like, oh my God, the that thing. Yeah. That's so interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. There's a a very anti-intellectual justification that often comes out around all sorts of literary analysis. Like, did the author really intend that? Did they really mean that? But so much of it just washes over you until you get it that Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter if they meant it or not. The fact that it happened is awesome. And isn't it so much more fun to imagine that they did mean it? That just makes art enjoyment that much better. And here's one clearly where they really, really meant it. You know, Sondheim meant these two songs to draw a parallel. Yeah, because that's the only that is the only time that that's reprised, isn't it? Yeah. It's really cool. The different characters have different themes that come back. You know, London has a theme that comes back. Mm-hmm. But there is this kind of generalized pretty women theme that once it comes back as the wig maker song, it gives it more importance than just because without this, pretty women as the Judge Todd song is just a distractionary song. It's just, when it's on its own, it's kind of just on the same level as uh, the Beatle and Lovett's parlor songs. Yeah. We're singing this song to pass the time. It is a diegetic song. They're singing to each other. They're singing about women. He's whistling about it um, in the same way that Lovett's is. But the Wigmaker sequence is not diegetic. No. You know, he's using it to describe the ones, but it's also lovely and lilting. And about what makes women, quote unquote, pretty. Well done, Stevie. You good little man, you. I think that that would be a fun thing to map is the good guy, bad guyness of Sweeney. Because, you know, clearly he's a tragic hero in the Shakespearean sense. That That is, I think, the meat of the play, pun intended. Beautiful. How much you agree or disagree with what Todd is doing right now. Yeah. And you're intended to go back and forth. You're intended to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And it's like kind of swinging him off against Love It as well. Like when she's ridiculous, but when she's also heartbreaking. And yeah, yeah you're like, ah. Well, and she's she's always the mastermind. Tweed, uh, Todd very rarely has. <laughs> Did you just say Tweed? Tweed. Tweeny, Tweeny, Tweeny Sad. The, 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 the Beeman Darber of, of Street Fleet. Um, <laughs> I <love that. laughs> Uh, (laughs) i don't know if todd has an original idea until the wig makers sequence um he he out of gut instinct kills pirelli mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's not premeditated love it tells him to wait to kill the judge love it has the idea to bake people into meat pies who has the idea to they don't really say, do they? Before they go into the town to like promote business, they don't say, I've got an idea, let's go into town and promote business. They just kind of go, don't <laughs> they? They just kind of go. I don't know who instigates the the contest. I bet you Todd instigates the contest. Isn't that interesting, actually? Because I've, I've kind of analysed their power play, kind of how she's kind of like nudges him in the right directions, but his kind of main task is always judge, 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 judge. You know these lines. I've got the I've got the script here. These lines must be cut because I've never heard them before. Tell me. Lights come up. They're in the marketplace. 
There's the caravan, you know, all that, all that stuff. Todd pointing at the caravan. That's him over there. Mrs. Lovett. Yes, dear. He's always here Thursdays. Todd reading the sign. Haircutter, barber, tooth puller to his royal majesty, the king of Naples. Mrs. Lovett. I Latin. All the rage he is. Todd. Oh, sorry. Italian. <laughs> Todd. I Latin. <laughs> God. Todd says. Tweed. Tweed at the the Sweeney Barber. Todd says, not for long. Mrs. Lovett, oh, Mr. T, you really think you can do it? Todd, by tomorrow, they'll all be flocking after me like sheep to be shorn. So that was Todd's idea, to go to market, find the barber, the local barber, challenge him, and that's how he's going to drum up business. That's the plan. That's really interesting. I don't think that's in any version of this I've ever seen. And clearly I didn't read this script closely enough. It's not, and it's not in Finishing the Hat. Yeah. It's not even mentioned. No, that's really, and that's really important. What's going on there? Yeah, and I don't think, I'm going back to see if they think of anything, because right before that is my friends. Yeah. And I think that just ends with lift your razor high. Yeah. And then we cut to Greenfinch, which I hate, and then Joanna... Mm-hmm. And then the beautiful ballad. Yeah. Then we murder the bird. We talk about Joanna Moore, and then we're in the marketplace. Yeah. So that's Todd's first idea. Oh. He plays the long game even from. That's interesting. He plays the long game even from the beginning. Why not just murder the judge in the street? Yeah. But he wants to get his revenge from the beginning. I wish that was played up more. That's interesting. Because that would make weight seem less important if we know that he's not like, I'm just going to go invite the judge over. He's like, I'm going to become a barber (laughs) on the off chance we can convince my arch nemesis to come by. And then that's how I'll murder him. And of course, we're suspending our disbelief through all of that. And that's fine. It's a melodrama. Yeah. But... It's interesting that he's active there. Maybe that's why they cut it out. They're like, oh, sugar. Maybe, yeah. It also, I mean, the whole thing seems very uh, expository as far as a script is concerned. Like, they're reading the sign that the audience can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unnecessary. But the the part that it's his plan, and I guess you, you don't need that because you see it play out, but the, when she's like, you know, you sure this is going to work, making it his plan, that part's important. It does a lot for her. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. I'm intrigued. We learned something today, Jimmy. What could you cut? Let's put our producer hats on. I we got to get it down to two hours. Wait, what are we cutting? I've I've already done this. <laughs> <laughs> and he, ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy is reaching into the oven behind him. Oh, and here's one he's prepared earlier. Exactly. I, I think I've answered. But basically, when because I've I've been devising my own production of it for about five years uh-huh. originally i was going to do a production of it at the edinburgh fringe mm. obviously you know doing a show that's two hours at the edinburgh fringe is silly right so i had to try and work out how to get it down to an hour and a half it can't be done <laughs> it's also important it's also important unless you're you're totally looking at it from another perspective which i'm sure there's a way to do i just don't know i don't know how like the things that can be cut are things that they do cut they cut parlor songs that makes sense <sighs> yeah it's sad but it makes sense apparently that was originally intended to be uh love it was going to try and poison the beetle oh and never got around to it and the tower of bray is supposed to be a drinking song and you do a shot every time the bell rings oh. and it was going to be this great comic scene where like who's got the cup and like you do the shot each time and it just never materialized that's yeah that's a shame it is but you know but i think i i really like the parlor songs because it's that last bit of scraping tension where you're like yeah ah! 
and then it culminates. You're like, oh, thank God. And then he screams and you're like, oh, God. Yeah. It's never ending. But I understand it's snippable. Wait is another one. Wait is another one. At first glance, you can be like, yeah, okay, why not? Right. Snip, snip. Yeah. And then then I just think you need to go into the song. Yeah. It's, it's like you take out the tooth pool because you only need one of them. You can cut out the middle chunk of a little priest. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and their sensitivities. You can snip bits and bobs out of that. You can, I mean... To be honest, you can kind of cut kiss me. Yeah, that does it. Yeah. I mean, this is where I have the problems with Joanna and Anthony. That song is the only song that establishes their love for each other. But it has no more depth than Anthony showing up at Todd's place saying, I'm in love. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he never, you know why kiss me is important? See, this is the problem. Kiss me sets up Anthony to be all like, I got to go deal with this now, which causes him to run in on Todd and the judge and interrupt that sequence. Could he not just run in after seeing her and be like, I've seen this woman that I'm in love with. It's got the same substance. I think that would make an already vapid character seem even more pointless. You could cut a miss. Uh... But then it's just what you lose is you lose the illusions and you lose the motifs by doing that. Which then lessens the quality of the show. It's such a nice, tight, three-hour show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. And that's that's impressive, to be able to do that without having any dead weight. Well, what's on? It's like what we were babbling on about Lynn, however many weeks ago. Everything's important. Everything. Don't worry, anyone. We're not, we're not cutting Sweeney Todd. It's okay. You can sleep. Close your Twitter client now. Don't need to send us angry tweets. The pitchforks can be put back in the shed. Close your razors. It's, it's all going to be fine. They are Sondheim's Greek chorus, right? We're not all singing the same thing because inexplicably we all learned the words at Tuesday chorus rehearsal night. Yeah. Like in God That's Good in the tooth pulling sequence. All of the chorus parts are individual. Mm -hmm. And like, if you look them up, there's weird parts where one of the chorus people sings about Pirelli's Miracle Elixir like, this would work with George. You know George. Oh, this wouldn't work with George. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just this little aside, but everyone's talking at once, so it doesn't matter. And what a wonderful thing to do for your chorus to give them that, that content that some, you know, they're not just a group of people. They're all individuals here it is uh yes come to think of it i could get some for harry <laughs> yeah nothing works on harry dear bye bye like those are lines you've never heard before yep. but they're there and it gives the chorus so much depth instead of all singing the same thing you know as as he says as i will one day get tattooed across my body god is in the details <laughs> Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. There is no better way to open a musical. Yeah. It sets up how antiquated the show is. It sets up that it's a morality tale, that we are actors telling you this. It has different meanings in both contexts. At the beginning, it's come to this show. At the end, it's remember this moral attend it's so brilliant and then he, he talks about this in in fact yeah let's do another plug <laughs> we're not sponsored in any way but a, a wonderful purchase are the Stephen Sondheim books finishing a hat and looking at a hat it is you know genius for Hamilton it's 
that equivalent but written by the man himself written by Sondheim yeah exactly and there's so many little bits you know there's the first drafts and the you know they photograph pictures of the first handwritten drafts that he's written of half the songs and you see all these ideas that he's had these script out and you're like they're ideas from god you know they've been unused exactly yeah he even he talks a little bit about the rhythm of that line i'm gonna find the right words which he says it's a microcosm of the aaba form Tommy, did you know that? Right. Attend the tale. I did know that because I read it in the same book you read it. <laughs> but apparently, um, in its very formality, gives the line a sinister feeling, especially with the sepulchral accompaniment that rumbles underneath it. Straight from the horse's mouth. It's, and it's so true. This is, he says it, I wrote it in here. What's, this is straight from Stephen Hansheim, Stonsheim's mouth. God. <laughs> Tweeny sweet. Tweeny sweet. I'm doing so well on the articulation today. <clears throat> you did good. You did really good. From Stephen Sondheim's mouth. What Sweeney Todd really is, is a movie for the stage. I think if you asked Sondheim what his favorite part about the show is, is that it's the underscoring. I mm. bet you that is the reason he said yes to Warner Brothers when they wanted to make the Johnny Depp Tim Burton movie and it has so little to do with Johnny Depp or Tim Burton and so much more to do with how Sondheim feels about movie scores and the fact that he finally got to see this piece realized as the movie he wanted it to be I wonder how happy he was I know I don't think he's ever said yeah well and he is a professional through and through which means he never will you never want to yeah disparage a product he probably he may even be legally obligated to never disparage a movie that has his name on it but i think it missed the bar in a couple places that it could have i think it's it has wonderful imagery Mm -hmm. i think the movie is beautiful to watch absolutely i think it's definitely scary in some right ways watching helena bottom carter die inside that furnace at the end is terrifying that's real scary the gore is fantastic. It's really gory, and they don't, again, to use a pun, they don't mince their words, which is, is great. But some of it does not achieve everything that the stage production does. But it's brought it to the masses, and everyone knows, oh, Sweeney Todd, that's that Johnny Depp one, yeah? And I'm like, yeah, fine, it is. And most importantly, you get to hear Alan Rickman sing. Which is a joy, <laughs> a joy for everyone. <laughs> I think we should make a little sound clip of us telling people to review and to uh, comment and talk to us. Yeah. Can it be? So, so Jimmy, our podcast did not end very succinctly last time with me making jokes about it ending suddenly. And we didn't have a chance to tell people that they should leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. Please do, because we, we actually generally want to know <laughs> what people think. If you have feedback for us or want to let us know things, our Twitters are, are on the website, jimandtomic.com. It's in it, whatever you're listening to right now. You can probably there's you can find it on there. Yeah, we have really extensive show notes, which you should l- look through and you can tweet stuff at us. And who knows? We may talk about it on the next podcast. Yeah, because some people have been and that's been really, really nice. And like, I want to know what we're doing wrong. Careful opening that door. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I like open feedback. I'm all about feedback. So please let us know what you want to hear. Please, please let us know what you want to hear. Please let us know. What we can By do. now you've realized we can talk about anything. <laughs> we can talk about anything for hours and hours and hours. I think there's such a vacuum in the world of musical theater discussion. Discussion, that's the word, Thomas. Let's fix that. Let's talk about musical theater. 
internet. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's start a revolution. We want to talk with you. If you want to talk with us, do it. There's a, there's a, you'll never know. There's a, there's a local hardware store in Illinois called Menards. They have a commercial jingle and it goes, um, save big money. You'll save big money when you shop Menards. And it's uh, oh, okay. the, the, the breakers breaking the Quaker. Yeah, see? Wasn't yeah. that a good <laughs> <laughs> that, was that was very valid. Thank you. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.